Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will spotlight the Q1 results of U.S. banks, along with a performance outlook for the group, the risks to be mindful of, and more. Joining me here on the line this morning for the conversation, glad to welcome back Brad Ball, Financials Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Brad, good morning to you. Great to have you back on the podcast and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Dan. Uh, good morning. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Brad, the Q1 reporting season is still underway at this point, though I know earlier on, a couple of weeks ago, we did hear from the large cap banks that you cover. So, I'm curious, Brad, as a starting point, how did reporting measure up relative to your expectations heading into the reporting season? Yes. So, every one of the top 20 20 banks, uh, the reported earnings have uh, reported earnings per shares that beat expectations. Um, I'd say there are really two major drivers of the beats in the first quarter. The, the first was uh, a lower loan loss provision expense that resulted in the release of reserves that had been built up during the early phase of the COVID crisis last year. In the first and second quarters, we saw the banks take very significant provision expense built up significant reserves, and they were able to release those reserves to some extent here in the first quarter. And the second uh, driver was stronger than expected capital markets-related revenues. Investment banking, M&A advisory, trading, you know, all strengthened uh, as the vaccine rollout and the economy reopened uh, during the first quarter. Uh, So those were, I'd say, the big drivers of the beats. And as I said, uh, generally speaking, uh, every major institution that has reported has put up something, uh, an EPS estimate, uh, EPS results, excuse me, that beat expectations. So, Brad, as a follow-up, how have large caps performed relative to their mid-sized peers? I'm asking in the sense as to whether there are any common trends or themes to note of across the broader group that you've picked up on. Sure, yeah. So I'd say that the the big banks uh, generally uh, did better than their regional banking peers. Uh, the bigger banks did see stronger markets-related fees, as I mentioned, um, while the lending-based income, which is a larger share of uh, regional banks' revenues, was somewhat hampered by lower net interest margins and lower loan balances. So, you know, fundamentally, the capital market strength uh, prevailed at the big institutions relative to the smaller ones. I'd say other common trends that uh, came out during the quarter, we saw better credit quality, uh, which is significantly better than last year's dire expectations. We saw still relatively strong mortgage, mortgage banking income, and we saw a significant buildup in excess capital available to be returned through dividends and buybacks uh, potentially later this year. Um, but on the more cautious side, I'd say some negative trends You know, loan growth was negative uh, across both consumer and commercial categories. What we saw was the flood of fiscal support that came into the economy really boosted liquidity, both for households and for businesses, and lessened their loan demand. And that showed up uh, in the bank loan results. Also, I mentioned net interest margins. They continue to be pressured by low short-term interest rates. And there was a large increase in deposits, uh, as we've been seeing in the last couple of quarters, which really can't be reinvested at attractive yields in this low rate environment. And then finally, another negative trend is that expenses were somewhat higher 
uh, banks are restarting their investing that they may have been uh, delayed during the pandemic in areas like technology and marketing to new customers. I, I mentioned it as a negative because it's a little above expectations, but we do like to see the banks investing in future growth, which I think is what they're doing here. So again, overall, I'd say results were mixed. Uh, the bigger banks uh, came out a little bit better than the smaller banks because of their capital markets exposure. Um, and I'd say that the focus going forward is very much on uh, the return of loan demand which is uh, expected perhaps later this quarter or in the second half. Okay, very interesting, Brad. Thank you for highlighting some of those trends, both positives and negatives. So uh, the large cap banks in particular, as you outlined a bit earlier in the conversation, appear to have posted a fairly strong Q1. I'm curious how that performance, Brad, has translated to the share performance of some of these names and what your performance outlook is for the banks over the next quarter, keeping in mind that it seems like day in, day out, we're hearing more positive developments as the economy moves closer and closer towards a reopening. Yes, and, and I'd say that reopening and the reacceleration of economic growth, which people are pointing to for the second half, would be overall good for financials. But to your question, the, the initial reaction to results was, was actually a bit negative. I think the setup was challenging. Financials had significantly outperformed uh, leading into uh, the quarterly results. Um, and that, um, you know, the markets generally don't applaud uh, big reserve releases, uh, which is, as I mentioned, a big driver of the beats that we saw. They view that uh, the reserve releases really as a lower quality source of earnings. Um, that said, uh, the core results, the pre-provision net revenues were mostly positive and EPS estimates, the analyst estimates after the results have generally moved higher uh, across the group. Uh, this has helped support the stocks uh, in the last week or so, uh, consistent with our uh, preference view for cyclicals over growth store stocks. We're seeing the um, really reaction to expectations for a rebound in the economy, helping support the stocks, uh, even after a somewhat muted initial reaction. Um, as far as the second quarter goes, I'd expect trends to be broadly similar to the first quarter. Um, but it is key to focus. The reserve release in the first quarter will probably not be repeated, although credit quality is expected to continue to be solid. And, and what I would say is, you know, we maintain our moderately preferred view for U.S. financials. We think there will be outperformance over the next 12 months. But that outperformance might be somewhat more challenging than the significant outperformance we've seen year to date. I would highlight four key factors to that outperformance. First, I do think we'll see further credit relief. Credit quality continues to be very strong and actually getting better, uh, which is counter what most expectations were because of the COVID uh, effect. Um, the second driver that we're focused on is a, a further increase in long-term interest rates. Our uh, fixed income team believes the 10-year Treasury yield, which is around 1.6% today, will rise toward 2% by year-end. That would be helpful for financials. And then a third driver we talked about is loan growth. It was weak in the quarter. We would expect loan growth to pick up uh, potentially in the second half as the economy accelerates and both consumers and businesses increase their demand for funding. And then fourth, um, we do think that a rise in short-term rates is key to long-term outperformance for financials. 
um, it would help drive sustainable revenue growth because, again, short-term rates are a key factor in net interest margins, which are key to uh, a traditional bank's revenues. So I would say these four drivers are key to improving the earnings power of financials. So um, we could potentially see both an improvement in earnings, uh, which helps uh, P.E. valuations, and an actual increase in valuations as the quality of that earnings improves over the next 12 months. And that's really the, the backdrop for our uh, still positive view despite recent outperformance. Okay, well, that performance outlook, very helpful, Brad. A bit later in the conversation, do want to run with that a bit further and talk about positioning in consideration of that performance outlook. Though, before we get there, I do quickly want to check in on capital levels of the banks, maybe what they look like today across the group relative to what they were pre-pandemic levels. Any color there, Brad? Yes, and I, I think that's a very timely question, Dan, because because uh, I think that capital return will probably be the next uh, key catalyst to focus on for the bank, um, for the bank group. Uh, we are currently undergoing the Fed's annual stress test, uh, both the Dodd-Frank Act stress test, so-called DFAST, and the comprehensive capital analysis and review, uh, are, again, are underway with the results expected to be out uh, by the end of June. And so we do think that um, the bank's capital, which has strengthened during the pandemic and actually improved in the last couple of quarters, uh, will be more than sufficient for the Fed to greenlight increases in share repurchases and dividend increases, which we haven't seen since the second quarter of last year. Um, the reason, by the way, for the uh, addition to capital strength during the pandemic is basically in, in the last couple of quarters, the, the Fed did impose restrictions on share repurchases uh, through the end of last year. Uh, they reopened that uh, in the first quarter, but still to a limited extent. And as I mentioned, they did restrict uh, capped, basically, dividend payments at second quarter 2020 levels. That dividend uh, cap is expected to be removed, as I said, uh, with this uh, current Fed stress test cycle. So overall, capital has been a, uh, you know, a, a source of strength for the uh, banks uh, during the crisis. It proved more than sufficient to endure the crisis. And we believe there is significant excess that the Fed should, uh, at the end of June, signal is available to be returned to shareholders. And that is a positive catalyst. Realize increased buybacks means an improvement in uh, in EPS growth because the uh, the, de the denominator, the share count, will go down with share repurchases, and an improvement in return on equity profitability because again the denominator goes down with share repurchases. So, um, you know, excellent question. I do think capital is the uh, is the is the the catalyst to focus on here over the next quarter. Appreciate that insight, Brad. As our clients, our listeners might recall each year, we do dedicate a top of the morning segment each year to recapping some of these stress test results. So definitely a topic that yep. we'll look forward to revisiting with you in a couple months time. But uh, before we close out, maybe we can tie this all back into positioning within the financials more broadly speaking. So uh, given everything that you've shared with us, Brad, namely that performance outlook a few moments ago, how should our clients think about positioning within the financial sector right now? Sure. Yeah. So pulling pulling it all together, um, I do think that 
we'd like to have exposure to uh, the U.S. consumer-driven economic rebound. Um, I continue to believe that the macro, macro backdrop is improving with vaccines and stimulus and ongoing reopenings. Um, and I do think it's bound to spur a surge in economic activity later this year. I think that for the consumer, significant pent-up demand during the pandemic will be released. Um, basically, you'll see increase in travel. You'll see increased uh, restaurant uh, uh, patronage. You see people attending events, uh, entertainment, uh, sports. Um, all of these things will be beneficial to uh, institutions that provide consumer loans, uh, payments companies that are benefiting from increased activity among consumers. And so for that reason, we have a preference for uh, companies that are big in credit cards. Uh, we also have a preference for the payment service providers. Um, and we think that consumer lenders in general uh, will be a good place to be positioned here as things uh, recover in the second half. Meanwhile, I do think that credit quality should improve, uh, not just in the consumer category, but also among uh, some of the more diversified banks and, and uh, diversified financials. Um, you know, the, the support that's been provided uh, by the federal government to businesses has provided a key bridge uh, to, to span the uh, pressures of the COVID crisis. And I do think that we're emerging uh, from the other side of that. And all of that pent-up demand being released will be a positive for business, uh, business uh, lenders as well. So I do continue to uh, prefer uh, companies that have uh, significant capital markets exposure, uh, benefiting from uh, corporates, small and mid-sized businesses that increase engagement with them. Um, I also think that uh, companies will see uh, increases in M&A, and therefore those that advise M&A or those that lend to uh, merger and acquisition um, participants will benefit as well. So, again, consumer-focused financials, um, less exposure to short-term interest rates, significant excess capital, so benefiting from the catalyst that I mentioned a minute ago, as well as uh, institutions that are exposed to capital markets, a reemergence of uh, customer demand, uh, a reemergence of M&A, uh, and a general uh, increase in overall engagement <clears throat> that is expected, excuse me, for the second half of this year. Brad, it's always great catching up with you here on Top of the Morning. Thank you for joining us, providing your reflections, takeaways on Q1, uh, walking us through your performance outlook, highlighting several trends within the group, as well as the guidance you provided on positioning within the space as well. So we'll look forward to catching back up again with you soon, Brad, but thank you again for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you, Brad. And again, today we have been joined by Brad Ball, Financials Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients, our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com 
forward slash CIO. Uh, that includes Brad Ball's latest U.S. Financials equity preference list. So for clients of UBS, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.